Good morning, Living Church. This is a very special day for us in the history of Berean Baptist Church. Maybe insignificant in world history, but very significant to us, to me, to Pastor Wes. And we trust that this is a hinge point in our history. Today we're coming to the place where we actually make the handoff, that we've been in transition for almost a year now. As I step aside from my role as senior pastor, we've been searching for a new lead pastor, and God led us all through the praying of that, the searching, the finding, the vetting, the candidacy, the voting, the calling, and now he's actually here in the flesh. I've seen his home where he actually lives. He's here with us. <laughs> And he always, already has one sick kid, right? <laughs> Two now, all right. So Stephanie can't be with us today, but Wes Feltner, our new lead pastor, is here among us, and today is the day when he steps into that role. And we recognize that we've been walking in God's sovereign purposes, which we don't totally understand, but we know in our obedience that God will bless what He wants to bless, and if we are obedient to Him. And now we turn to something that's new, and should we admit to everybody today, Wes, we really don't know where we're going. But that's okay, because God does know that. Abraham didn't know when he made his first step of obedience that God would make him the father of a great nation. Nehemiah did not know when he was weeping and in prayer that God would appoint him and send him to restore the nation and the city of Jerusalem. And Paul, when he spent that night in a hotel in Troas... After having been defeated and going many other places, didn't know he would receive a vision from the man of Macedonia and that the gospel would go to Europe because of that. So even though we don't know the exact future, we know who calls us and we know that we are in his hands. So we're at a hinge point. Both Wes and I have felt God calling us and causing us to obey in our distinct and separate ways. And we know that God has led us to this point, and we are frankly tired of this transition. We're ready to get on with it. And I know that as God does this transition in us, that He's going to bring great blessing to the church. I want you to know that, that I have no doubts about what has happened, and I have great hopes for the future, but I'm also burdened for the future. And I'm concerned for the future because I know a little of the weight that is transferring to Wes's shoulders. And frankly, a couple of years ago, I began praying, Lord, is there any young pastor out there who has the legs to lead this church forward? Had no idea. I didn't know if there was anybody out there. God led us to Wes, and he's got the legs for it, and he wants to do it, and God has led him here. So I have a, not a baton, You don't have to carry that at all times, <laughs> and not into the airport. <laughs> but seriously, this is a shepherd's staff. It's not for whacking the sheep. <laughs> it's for leading us. God is called pastors. Pastor means shepherd. And we hope that you lead us into, you know, along still waters and into green pastures, but we also watch you to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death when we need to go there and to set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And most of all, Pastor Wes, we want you to lead us toward righteousness in Christ. 
as our shepherd. And I want to read a passage of scripture to you out of uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Wes, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And then it says to all of us, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Wes, I just have a couple of comments. It's my, not my job to preach today, but I could. <laughs> but a couple of words in here. One is, it says, serve willingly. What kind of man wants this job? Willingly says, I, I get to do that. Well, only a man that God calls. You know that it's not a job, Wes. You know that it's not an eight to five. You know that you don't know what's coming. And you and I both know that preaching is just the tip of the iceberg. And we praise God that you're a wonderful communicator. But we pray for you that you'll willingly step into all that the pastoring of this church requires. And then it says eagerly. Eagerly. There's something about a, a joyful pastor. It's good for a church to have a joyful pastor. And we can't force that on you. We can probably take that away from you. But we pray that there would be an effervescent joy of the Holy Spirit in your life. That you would be a disciple of Jesus. Feed on his table every day. Filled with the Spirit every day. So that you can do this eagerly. That you get to do this. And there's something about a leader who loves what he does and does it willingly, we just want to follow. So I just want to say to you, God bless you, brother. I'm trying to hold it together this third time in saying this, but I am so confident God has called you here and I bless you as my brother. And we now want to pray over you, these elders who are some of the finest men I've ever served with. And uh, we want to lay our hands on you and pray for you and uh, commend you to the Lord's Spirit. So let's pray together. Uh, Tim Larson, the chair of our, our elder board, will pray, and then I'll pray. Oh, dear Lord, Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, our Savior, we do pray to you this morning. We pray, Lord, because you have brought us a, a man who desires to stand before this congregation and confess your word to them. Lord, I think back to the testimony that he has shared with us of how as a child he was called to salvation in you and you have grown him and matured him and put him on a journey. And Lord, he comes in to step into shoes of men who have been faithfully leading this church for 50 years, taking the word and opening it and sharing the truth of scripture to your people, shepherding them and caring for them. So as Wes comes today to do that, Lord, we pray your blessing upon him and upon his family. We pray, Lord, that you would give to him wisdom and insight into your word, that you would teach him and grow him and mature him in a way that as he leads us, he takes us with him on this journey of faith. I pray, Lord, that you would grant to him strength and courage to stand in the word and not 
be embarrassed to proclaim its truth. Give to us, Lord, your blessing through him and through the leadership that he brings, Lord, that we together as a body can glorify your name. It's in your name we pray these things and for your glory. Amen. Lord, we pray for Wes now as he takes this mantle of leadership. Lord, we just add to the commissioning you've had on his life since he was a young man. And you have called him and you've equipped him and you've proved him in many other places under many other responsibilities. And now, Lord, you have uniquely equipped him to come here to be our lead pastor, to provide the shepherding that we need. And so, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen him in his inner man. We pray, Lord, that you'd give him a heart of humility and a voice of authority. But Lord, we pray that he would live among us as an example, an example of a servant and a disciple one hungry after the Word of God and after obedience to Jesus. We pray, Lord, that he would be a, a husband whose wife takes delight in him. And we pray, Lord, for his role as a father. Lord, protect him in all of these things so that he can lead us in the ways that you want. And Lord, help us to be followers. Help us to be eager, to be obedient, to follow, to know your will as we discover it together. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. Wes, may he equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Living Church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1. That's where our text will be this morning. You know, as I've said that in the other services and, you know, it hit me, I realized that that's Roger's statement and I, I share that because I want to honor this man and because I resonate very well with that mission of being the Living Church out there. That's why I'm so excited today to be here and to be able to be your pastor, to take on this this privilege of being able to shepherd you and to lead you. And it's because I've gotten to know Brian over the last several weeks and months and gotten to know its leadership and, and men like Roger and the elders and the staff. And, and it's been all the more just exciting about the opportunity that God had for us in this chapter of our ministry. And so I'm so thankful for Roger. I'm really thankful to know that he thinks I have nice legs. Um, so thank you for publicly admitting that. And now I have a record on that. But uh, just on behalf of my family, know that uh, we're here with great joy and great expectation of what God is going to do uh, in the days ahead. And uh, it was difficult trying to figure out what God would have me share with you as kind of the first right out of the gate message. And God led me to this passage in Romans chapter 1 and beginning at verse 15. And I'm going to ask if you're able to stand to please do so. 
as we honor the reading of God's Word. I do this not because it's a tradition or habit, because I want you to look around and see the visual that we're about to read the Word of God. This is not just any book. I believe that these are the very words of God breathed out. The Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. And so, this isn't about the authority that I have. This is about the authority of God's Word. And here's what God's Word says to us this morning. In Romans 1, beginning at verse 15, Paul writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father, I do pray now that in these moments Your Spirit would be at work. Jesus said that the Spirit would come to lead us into truth. So open our eyes. Give us a moment of clarity to see our life as it relates to the context in which we live. And Lord, apply this Word to our lives that we might see exactly how we are to be the living church out there. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I grew up in a small town in Tennessee, and I spent most of my life in denial. You see, everybody that lived in my neighborhood and lived kind of around us was a redneck. But not my family, not me. I was convinced that we were normal, and I kept telling myself that over and over and over and over again, we're not a redneck, we're not a redneck. But then one day, the essence of my gene pools was staring at me face to face. I came back to visit my parents. I had been away at college, and so I was taking classes like philosophy, and I was sophisticated. I mean, I had all the answers, and I was so intelligent. And so I come back to visit my parents, and I looked over into my brother's yard, who lived and still lives two houses over, and I saw something that looked very strange. I saw this thing that looked like a large piece of fruit. It's like, what is that? It was so weird. I don't know if you've ever seen those propane tanks that people have in their yard. They look like this. You ever seen one of those? Well, my brother painted his into a watermelon. Look at this. Yeah, exactly. It was horrifying. I thought, what is that? It's like a watermelon on steroids. What in the world? And I could just hear the southern theologian Jeff Foxworthy. You remember him? Those words ringing in my ears of, if you've ever painted a propane tank into a watermelon, you are a redneck. And I could just laugh at the picture of our other redneck neighbor bringing his chainsaw over to cut a slice. And, you know, what the crime scene would look like after that. I just, I think it was a moment of, are you serious? This is my family? And you laugh, but I wasn't laughing then. I was, I was horrified because it got worse. 
I walked into my parents' home and my mother had painted the kitchen table into a sliced watermelon. I thought, I am not from this family. Goodness gracious. And so, Brian, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you when I tell you that I live with the fear that one day I'm going to walk around our home and look at my wife and say, honey, you know, I think that would look great painted like a watermelon. Well, in all seriousness, I've come to accept my family and all the, all the weird things about our family, but that, there was a moment when I was ashamed. In that moment, I, I felt embarrassed, even over something as silly as that. And the truth is, I bet every one of you in this room has had a moment in your life where you were ashamed. For some of you, you're ashamed of your parents. For some of you parents, you're ashamed at things that your children have done. In fact, I bet all of you, if you've lived long enough, have a point in your life where you're ashamed of something you've done. All of us know what it feels like to have that moment of shame. But I want to tell you, as followers of Jesus Christ, there is one thing we cannot be ashamed of, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I share that with you this morning with intention as the first sermon to share with you as the lead pastor here at Berean. Because as I looked at the New Testament, as I was thinking about what God would have me share, I noticed a pattern in the Apostle Paul that he always seemed to get something out of the way right at the very beginning as he would write a letter. You take, for instance, here in Romans, right here in chapter 1, look back at verse 15. He says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. So Paul wants to make very clear to the church at Rome, listen, let's get this out of the way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Notice what he says to the church of Galatia in Galatians chapter 1. So again, right out of the gate, first chapter, Paul says this, As we have said before, and so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, time out right there. That's pretty serious stuff. If somebody comes to you and they're preaching the gospel, a gospel that's not the gospel, let them be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Look right here, Brian. You're going to have to decide whether or not you're in this thing to please other people or whether or not you're in this to please God. Will you be ashamed of the gospel that has been entrusted to you? Notice what he says to young Timothy again, right out of the gate in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. He says this, similar language. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And just one more that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. You see, the point is, Paul wanted every church to know right at the very beginning, here's the deal, 
I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know, having entrusted to me this sweet privilege to be your pastor, I want you to know on day one, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because my first and foremost responsibility to you is not to entertain you. It is not to bring a whole bunch of programs to this church. It's not even to manage the staff, though those are things that are part of the territory. My first and primary responsibility is to preach to you the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know there's a lot of, of reasons why we could be ashamed, why I as a pastor could be ashamed, because there were lots of reasons why Paul could have been ashamed. Notice that he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, that seems a little odd way of saying it. Couldn't Paul have said, I'm proud of the gospel. I love the gospel. But he doesn't say that. He says, I'm not ashamed. Why? Because Paul is living in a context, in a day, in which it would have been easy to be ashamed. First, the gospel for Paul meant persecution. Notice back in verse 15 where Paul wants to go and preach the gospel. He says, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now, what do you think of when you think of Rome? For some of you, it's like a, a vacation spot or tourism when you think of Rome, you might think of, of uh, the Colosseum, the Roman Colosseum. Or maybe you think of the Sistine Chapel, or, or maybe Vatican, or, or some place that you would go and tour and visit. But for the Apostle Paul, Rome was a place of severe persecution. In 64 AD, the emperor whose name was Nero, after a large fire had engulfed Rome. Do you know who he blamed it on? He blamed it on Christians. Because Christians didn't worship the Roman gods who Nero believed controlled natural disasters. And so when a natural disaster happened, he blamed it on them. In fact, here's what the Roman historian Tacitus says. And I know on your way to church, you were thinking, I hope our new pastor quotes Tacitus. Like, I was reading about him in my quiet time the other day, and I just, I can't get enough. Probably not, but here's what the Roman historian said of this day under Nero. Besides being put to death, that is, Christians, they were made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clothed in the hides of beasts and torn to death by dogs. Others were crucified. Others set on fire to illuminate the night. You want to know how they illuminated the night in Rome? They burned Christians. And Paul is eager to go there and preach the gospel. But, but what if they kill you, Paul? I mean, they've got a good track record here of doing some pretty nasty things to Christians. Well, then it's a good thing I follow the one who is raised from the dead. They may cut my head off for Jesus, but one day he'll put it back on. 
I don't care ultimately what man will do to me or say to me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And listen, Brian, I'm not trying to compare what Paul was going through in Rome to today or even other places throughout our world that Christians have to endure great persecution. But make note of this. When you live a life, when you are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will cost you something. They will call you things. They will say you are narrow-minded. They will say you are intolerant. And those might just be the nice things they say about you. But Paul said, regardless of what they do, regardless of what they say, let's get this one thing straight, Romans. I'm not ashamed. And I'm not only not ashamed even though the Gospel would bring persecution, I'm not ashamed even though the Gospel is not a very popular message. Pop quiz. Where does Paul want to go? Talk to me. Rome. What does Paul want to preach in Rome? The Gospel. And what is the Gospel in summary form? It is Christ and Him crucified. Now just think for a moment what he's saying. I'm eager to go preach about a man who was killed by the Roman government and I want to do it in Rome. I wonder how that's going to go. He wants to preach repentance from sin in a city that celebrated sin in Paul's day. Rome, Rome, maybe next to Corinth, was as bad as you could get when it came to celebrating sin. And Paul wants to go and preach repentance from sin, which he, which he does in, in the book of Romans. I mean, that's like preaching against gambling in Vegas or country music in Nashville or cold weather in Minnesota. It just doesn't make any sense. It's not going to be popular. But Paul doesn't care because he's not ashamed. And he understands that there is a sense in which the gospel, before it will encourage you, will offend you. The gospel, before it will comfort you, will hurt you. The Bible says that the Word of God is a two-edged sword and it cuts. Because everyone in this room who's trying to keep all the rules, the Gospel says you've broken them all. And everybody that's trying to uh, get by on their own good works, the Bible says you're filthy rags. But yet the Gospel comes and says to all of those who've tried hard and failed, there is grace. But you must admit you need it. And that, Berean, can be a humbling thing. I love what Jeffrey Wilson says in this quote, where he says, The unpopularity of a crucified Christ has prompted many to present a message which is more palatable to the unbeliever. Let's, let's make it easy. Let's make it comfortable. But the removal of the offense of the cross always renders the message ineffective. An inoffensive gospel is also an operative gospel. Folks, we cannot compromise on this. And that is why Paul, when he's writing to young Timothy, a young man in the faith, and I even take this from Roger's charge to me earlier out of 1 Peter, that this is serious business. This isn't something you take lightly. This is a big deal. And Paul said to Timothy, in that kind of weight, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, 
who, by the way, who are we dealing with this whole Christ? The judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing and his coming, preach the word. Be ready, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? Why is this so important? Because the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Right here, this isn't a popularity contest. And I'm not here to receive a recognition award. I'm here to preach the gospel to you week in, week out, with every ounce of energy in my body. Because there is absolutely nothing more important in your life than your relationship with God. Nothing. And that's what's at stake when we gather together. Will the gospel be front and center? And I tell you, Berean, if I have anything to do with it, it most certainly will. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And here's why Paul was not ashamed of the gospel and we'll end with this. Even though it could bring persecution, even though it's probably not going to be popular, he's not ashamed because, look at verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of it because there's power in it. Man, like the gospel does things. It, it, it messes your life up for good. It transforms you. Uh, dunamis, the Greek word here, it's where we get the English word dynamite. It's, it's like every week when we come together and we, we hear the gospel and we gather together as a gospel-centered community, it's like placing a stick of dynamite right here in the middle of us. Now there's an imagery. And man, it explodes and it begins to transform and do crazy things that can only be explained by God. I mean, don't you want to be a part of something like that? I mean, you just want to... I'm not here to play church, man. I want to I see the gospel take hold of our lives and do crazy God things. And Paul says, the reason I'm not ashamed of it is because I know firsthand that's what the gospel does. You see, when most of us think of Paul, we think of the person who wrote much of the New Testament. But, but let me remind you that before that happened, what, what did Paul do? He loved to persecute Christians. His idea of a good Friday night was, was taking a Christian and messing them up really bad. I mean, think about that. Paul enjoyed hurting God's children. Now, listen, I have children. You hurt my children, that's God calling me into prison ministry. All right? You just think about that later, all right? Any parents, I get an amen, you know? You don't mess with my kids. And here Paul made a, a calling out of hurting God's children, but God doesn't throw them away. No, He just transforms them by the gospel of Jesus Christ and turns a murderer into the greatest missionary. You know, the gospel just does that kind of thing. Because it's not of man, it is of God. And so, that's what I'm excited about to see in the days ahead of the gospel that we're not ashamed of comes in power because it is the power of God 
and does a great work among us. Things like marriages, even some in this room, reconciled. Families that are strengthened. I notice a lot of young people in this service that because of the gospel we see children and teenagers who, who are raised up to be this mighty army of God. And I'm telling you, we need you to stand up to your generation and say, I will not be ashamed either. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care what they do to me at the school. I'm not going to be ashamed of Jesus. That the gospel takes hold of this congregation and we see things like that or things like people who are in bondage that are set free. I, I want to see some religious people who are playing the church game be transformed to actually know what it means to love Jesus and walk with Jesus and worship Jesus. I want to see the nations reach for the glory of God and spiritually dead people come alive. And that will only happen when the gospel is front and center. I'll leave you with this. When I was in high school, you were judged by the car you drove. I don't know if that was true for you, but you know, they, would, they would say things about you based on what you would drive. And One of our friends came to school one day in something that could only be described as a piece of junk. It was a rust bucket. I mean, smoke coming out of it. I mean, it was just, it was awful. In fact, some of the students were even saying, like, I would be embarrassed to drive that. But see, what they didn't know is he and his father had rebuilt the engine inside, and boy, would it fly. Don't ask me how I know. I'm just telling you, it would fly. <laughs> Somebody told me, a friend of mine. You see, it didn't look like much on the outside. But there was power under the hood. And I tell you, dear church, we are living in a culture that looks at a crucified man in an empty tomb, and they don't see much but narrow-mindedness and intolerance. And I look at many churches even across our land, and they look at a crucified man in an empty tomb as something that needs to be repackaged that will be easier to swallow. But I'm telling you, a crucified man in an empty tomb is the power of God. And that's why I cannot. I promise you I will not be ashamed to eagerly preach it to you. Let's pray. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Father, I pray that this resonates with us. There are some men and women, some teenagers in this room who are in context right now. It's a school, it's a family, it's a relationship, it's a job where, though they might not admit it, they've been ashamed. They've avoided conversations. Their, their life has not fully reflected a life that is unashamed of the gospel. And so, Lord, I just pray as we close here that you would apply this in only the way that you can to our lives, that we would see this is more than just about a pastor and, and, and a new season of, of life in the church, but that this is about every single one of us that daily takes up our cross and lives for the sake of Christ wherever we go, the living church out there. So challenge us, Lord. And then, Lord, I pray that in the days and months and years ahead, 
that you would do great and mighty things as we seek to be faithful to the gospel that you have entrusted to us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.